How's it going, everybody? Aloha and welcome back to the Brick House for the final edition of 2020 here of Bo's Football Final at KHON2.com. And everywhere you download podcasts, I'm your host, Rob DeMello, and joining me, Spectrum Sports Analyst, former University of Hawaii player and coach, the legendary Rich Miano. And coach, what an emphatic cap to an unprecedented season. The University of Hawaii football team ends on a high note, five and four in the season after beating Houston 28 to 14 in the New Mexico Bowl played in Frisco, Texas, giving the Rainbow Warriors back-to-back bowl game victories in consecutive seasons for the first time since 2004. Obviously, lots to talk about, individual performances, what this all means moving forward. So much to get to, but first things first, how big of a win was that? How big of a finish was that for the 2020 University of Hawaii football team under first-year head coach, Todd Graham? Rob, I think this was extremely big in terms of product placement. You couldn't ask for a better time slot. December 24th, Christmas Eve, no other games on television. And you know what? I thought Hawaii in all three phases played well. I think this is big for recruiting. I think it's big for branding. And I just think it's good because I think people are starting to recognize that this Hawaii football program now can win games on national TV. They've won bowl games in consecutive years. They've had a 10-win season. They haven't had a losing record in a while. And I just think it really bodes well for the future of this program. Yeah, you talk about winning records. Uh, You know, this was a year that we thought was going to end at four and four right after the UNLV game, not thinking bowl game was going to be a possibility. But to the surprise of many, they get invited to the New Mexico Bowl. They win this game. So they finish the year at five and four. That is three consecutive winning seasons. That's something that this program hasn't done since 2004, 2002, three and four. They had winning football seasons. Even when you look at, 2006 2007 it was in 2008 that there was a 500 season so that's a non-losing season but in regards to non or consecutive winning seasons this is something that hasn't been done in quite some time and when you look at the final score it tells you a lot about how that game played out 28 to 14 a defensive effort by this Rainbow Warrior football team that has been impressing all season long on that side of the ball. And maybe the numbers don't indicate that in every single game this year. And maybe when you look at where they lie in total defense or points given up throughout the course of a year, it paints a little bit of a different picture. But guys like you and me who have watched every snap of this football team, this is a much improved defense and they did it behind a player who was the face of that defense in Mililani graduate sophomore linebacker Darius Musau, who was named defensive MVP of that New Mexico Bowl, picking up nine tackles, a sack, an interception. And we've been singing his praises all season long. Number 53 is a player that when you close your eyes and think about 2020 UH football, he's definitely a player that comes to mind. How impressed were you with his performance in that bowl game and how he's continued to be a leader of this football team so quickly out of high school, thrown into the mix at the University of Hawaii, two different defenses in two years, two different head coaches, and yet his progression has been incredible. Your thoughts, Rich? Yeah, and I want to start off by saying I think Jacob Euro, the linebacker coach, is, is an up-and-coming, a rising star in this profession. I've watched him coach, and I love what uh, Darius is doing. And in terms of 
all-around linebacking play. I mean, the guy that comes to mind is a piece of Tanoi Samoa in terms of what I've seen in the last 20 or so years at the University of Hawaii. But I, there was a play, and I find myself watching this guy specifically, you know, not watching the ball, not necessarily watching the secondary or the front, but watching him. There was a play towards the end of the game where he came on an outside pass rush, and he made a subtle move. And that subtleness froze the tackle. The tackle did not even touch him. He got to the quarterback, didn't make the play because the quarterback got the ball off. But when you look at him as a pass rusher, when you look at him in coverage, when you look at him sideline to sideline and the efficiency in tackling, he's just an all-around player worth the price of admission. Yeah, and, and you know, it's funny. It's earlier I was talking about the numbers and maybe what this defense looks like on paper, but at the end of the day, you're a defensive guy, you're a former defensive coordinator, you've made a living on the defensive side of the ball. When you see a defense that forces the amount of turnovers that this defense has, that gets into the face of a quarterback on, on called blitzes and whether they're linebackers or corners or, or nickels or whoever it is that's coming after the quarterback, they just seem to, when that blitz is called, they're batting a thousand. Uh, very few times have they been burnt on that type of play. You look at this defensive line strength as the, the, the season went on and how much they improved. When you look at tackles for loss, that is really the calling card for a defense. And when you look at whether or not a defense is a, a, a unit that can lead a team to victories, it's more so those things than points and yards, correct? Yeah. And, you know, and I hate to keep making comparisons, but, you know, I've been around this program for 40 years. The last type of defense I remember to be similar was 2010 when Dave Aranda was the defensive coordinator and in, in Hawaii led the nation in turnovers and interceptions and caused fumbles. But I think the pressure this year, I think the pressure package may be percentage-wise even more than a Dave Aranda blitzing type of defense. I think the amount of tackles behind the line of scrimmage, you know, and there were some gashing because when you do gamble and when you are sending your corner like no other team I've ever seen, I mean, they have corner blitzes. They overload pressure. They run dog. They do all kinds of things. They play all kinds of different bandit type of defenses with Corey Bethley. And I think that this is something, if you're a defensive purist, you love to see tackles for losses. You love to see sacks. You love to see turnovers. And we saw a lot of that this year. There was multiple big plays, multiple big runs, a few big passes. But overall, I think the secondary played well in terms of pass defense. I thought there were enough tackles for losses. I thought there were enough pressure to really put uh, a, a bind on the offense. And I think the defense did dictate a lot of how offensive plays uh, against Hawaii and really impressed by Todd Graham's ability to keep dialing up the blitz. Yeah, and when you look at this game and how it played out, I mean, obviously the University of Hawaii jumped out to a big first-half lead. Houston made their charge there after halftime, and it, and it got you thinking, like, uh-oh, what's happening here? This is a Cougar team that has all the momentum on their side, and then, like it was a movie, you turn to the star of the show and say, all right, this is your moment. You know, the, the music starts playing and, and, and this is the, the moment where the star rises and, and he takes over this ball game. And that's exactly what Calvin Turner Jr. did and what he's been doing all season long. 252 all-purpose yards and two scores. That second score being a kickoff return for touchdown that pretty much sealed the deal. It ended the Houston momentum drive and it put a fitting cap on a 2020 season to where Calvin Turner Jr. was the most 
explosive, dynamic, entertaining, and probably loved football player on this football team. Uh, how impressed were you with his, what could be his final moment as a University of Hawaii football player? Because he has a big decision here to make in the coming weeks or maybe even days. Yeah, chunk runs, chunk receptions, chunk plays on special teams. It just seemed like when he got the ball in his hands, something big was going to happen. It just seemed like he was better than Mountain West Conference talent. And I'm not so sure that I, – I am kind of sure that this would be the same in the Pac-12 or the SEC. I, I don't think that this guy can play – I know this guy can play at the next level. And it is a question that you kind of – uh, broach that he may turn pro and if he does we're going to miss this guy this offense is going to miss him um, we ha have only seen one year of this brilliance and if he does come back it's amazing how much better because I agree with Todd Graham that he's only scratching the surface as a receiver as a running back as a specialist if he learns how to catch punts which is a tough thing to learn he'll be one of the best punt returners we've seen since probably a Chad Owens type of guy but uh it's exciting, refreshing to see because nobody, and I, and this brings me back to Jeff Ulbrich when I first became the pro scout liaison and nobody knew who Jeff Ulbrich was. And when I would say he's the best middle linebacker in the country to 32 NFL teams, they would look at me like I'm crazy. This guy coming out of Jacksonville, Jacksonville University, who knows what, who, what was he rated? Who, and did anybody know anything about him besides the University of Hawaii football coaching staff? Now the NFL knows about him. He has showed, like I said, I don't know if it's 20 chunk plays this year, but he has showed the ability to just make a big play uh, whenever the ball's in his hands. And it's interesting because, you know, over the last couple of months, um, you know, you're, you're learning more about Calvin Turner Jr. Obviously, we knew that he was coming into the program. Obviously, we thought highly of, the, of him uh, because of his explosiveness and athleticism to talk about him before he ever played a game at UH and, and talk about what the possibilities could be in this offense. It ended up doing exactly what we thought maybe the ceiling was, and he exceeded it. With that being said, as you go back to his high school tape and the stuff that you're seeing on the turf at Aloha Stadium or wherever it is, it was in, in 2020 for the University of Hawaii. He was doing it back then and didn't get any offers. Went to a non-scholarship program at Jacksonville. He did it at Jacksonville. When you watch the, the tape in, in regards to what was he able to do with that Dolphins program? Well, he did exactly what he did in high school. Then he comes to the University of Hawaii. And so it makes you think, you know, if you're Calvin Turner Jr., do you believe that, okay, this was the moment, like this is the year that everybody notices me? Or do you view it as, I've been through this before. I balled out as a high school senior and didn't get a look. Then I balled out at Jacksonville and, and really only got a, a look from the University of Hawaii. So it, do you think there should be some hesitancy on, on his side, you know, in thinking of like, I might need to do this again to guarantee my spot into the NFL. Now, after the game, he had said that he thought that he did enough to get his spot into the NFL, but wasn't sure about whether or not, you know, what the decision's going to be. And he hasn't made that call yet. Um, but if you're in his shoes, is there almost some PTSD in regards to, you know, having done it, but not getting that look that you're looking for? Well, it's interesting because I remember Cole Brennan had a late first round grade or early second round grade. He came back and 
you know, there were some uh, issues and he fell to the sixth round. So coming back doesn't always improve your stock, but I think there is a possibility for him to become a better wide receiver, for him to get more kickoff opportunities, or punt return opportunities, for him to get the ball in his hands even more and to do some damage again to show scouts if, but I also think, and I remember back in, it was, uh, I think his name was Stewart. He was a running back from Colorado that played eight man football. So people never realize, you know, you watch tape on this guy and you go, well, that's the Mountain West Conference. They're not the SEC. But I think scouts are smart enough to see the Debo Samuel potential, to see the, I don't know, that wide receiver that sometimes for the Miami Dolphins plays quarterback because he was a quarterback in college. There's so much versatility in this young man in terms of the return game, the ability to play in the slot, the ability to play running back, the ability to play in the wildcat. I just think that he would get a third, fourth, or fifth round grade off of the 20 or so explosive plays he made this year. Coming back, who knows if he could be a second or first round draft pick. But I think this guy has a tough decision, and I hope that he's guided by good people because uh, I would love to see him. Maybe that's selfish, but at the same time, I wouldn't think it would hurt him to come back. Yeah, in talking about the Dolphins, there's actually two guys, Bowden and Perry, Lynn Bowden yes. Jr. and Malcolm Perry, who are both quarterbacks in college and and, and played uh, able to play in that flex position. And, and so it shows that there's – there's value in the National yes. Football League to be that kind of player when you have two of them on one yes. team like the Miami Dolphins. And so obviously, you know, at, at the time of this taping, we don't know what his decision is going to be. What's interesting is that, you know, at this time on social media, I mean, I look back at uh, Mike Edwards Jr. or John Ursua or Cole McDonald. There seems to be, a, 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 a you know, with those players, a much more, uh, I guess, uh, a 50 50 split on you know I, like you need to come should back I stay or, or should i go or, you know or you know, this person should go or it seems like every comment i read and even stuff that we got in here in the Bose football final mailbox uh it, it it's really telling because everyone's saying like hey you should go i mean if you want to go go but we hope that you come back and we're I feel like in other players, it was a little more vitriolic of you better not go. Or I think University of Hawaii football fans see the journey that he's been on and see his potential and are really impressed with it. And so I find that very interesting in, in their response and their reaction to this question that, that lays ahead. But we'll see what he chooses to do. I think I speak for everybody where I say that, oh, it'd be great to see him in a University of Hawaii uniform moving forward. But if he chooses to take his next step in his football journey uh you know all of hawaii is going to be behind him for sure now one player that you don't have to worry about making that decision right now is shevin cordero at quarterback a redshirt sophomore who will be a sophomore again next season because of the ncaa eligibility rules for 2020 um you watch what he did this season in leading this football team and going over some of the the notes that that he was able to accomplish here this season he finishes with 483 rushing yards on the year, becoming the first UH quarterback to lead the team in rushing since Michael Carter in 1991. He went over 1,000 yards. Uh, Cordero threw for 136 yards, three touchdowns, while rushing for 33 in that bowl game victory. How would you grade his season? How would you rate his performance as a captain for the first time with his football team in a new offense under a new head coach through all the circumstances that he had to go through here in 2020, much like the rest of the the, the nation and the rest of the team for sure. But playing that quarterback position, uh, how, how would you kind of sum up Shevin Cordero here in 2020? 
Yeah, and I'm going to slice it up, Rob. I'm going to start with leadership, and I'm going to give him an A. And it's because of the times we talked to G.J. Kinney, the times we talked to Todd Graham, the times we talked to other people, just listening to him in the media, watching him on the sidelines, knowing his preparation. I think he's a tremendous, humble leader that works hard and uh, is, 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 is just done a great job. I think when it comes to running and extending plays, he's close to an A as well. Because you mentioned leading the team in rushing. Now that's nine games. That's not 14 or 15. Uh, there were times where there was absolutely nowhere to go and he extended plays. There were times where he was faster than everybody thought he was uh, and really made chunk plays in the running game. There weren't a whole lot of quarterback running plays uh, that were called this year, but there were some. And when there were, he, you know, he exploited that as well. So you can do all that in your offense. You know that if everything breaks down, and I would say 50% of plays where I break down, and it's not as you drew it up on the whiteboard, so to speak, he makes things happen. So he's a nightmare for defensive coordinators. I think even in the throwing game, he's, you know, there were times when he was inconsistent. There were times where he overthrow some short routes. There were same times when his trajectory wasn't good in the deep ball. So I would probably give him a B minus on that, but he can make all the throws. And when the timing comes, and when this offseason comes, and when all those other things come, this guy has a chance to be one of the greatest. And we've had so many great quarterbacks in the system and one of the greatest from St. Louis High School. And that says a lot. This guy has unlimited potential. We have a chance to see this guy potentially three more years. It's, it's going to be exciting. Yeah, as a coach and as someone that watched players develop in college, I mean, as many players as you have in your time, and even going back to your playing days, and whether it be in college or the NFL, and watching new players come in and watching them go through that development process. When you look at Chevin Cordero from his freshman year up until right now, it's interesting because the what came first for Chevin Cordero was the deep ball, right? And that was the thing that yes, everyone yes. saw was, oh, okay, man, this guy, this is this is his bread and butter. This is what he can do. If only he can get the ball out a little quicker. If only he can read the defenses a little bit better. If only you know he he could do those things. He was always extending plays, which you saw in high school. But so it's really interesting to me that he really developed that part of his game of taking what the defenses give you of having a quick release and being able to get the ball out of his hands um, under normal circumstances. Cause you saw some situations in the beginning of the year when the offensive line was struggling, where I think you even said in a previous episode that you could have Kyler Murray back there and, and no one's getting out of that pocket with how quickly the defenses got there. But it, it was the deep ball that he struggled with this year. Is that a good sign or a bad sign that you saw him improve in something that he was maybe lacking for lack of a better term in previous seasons, but lost something that he was really good at. Does that tell you that he can do all these things? And once you put it all together, this player is going to be unstoppable. Or does it tell you that there's something going on where it's two steps back and two steps forward, two steps back in regards to development at a position. What are your thoughts? Well, I think he will get uh, back to where he was before, as you mentioned, as, as a better deep ball throw. And that just takes repetition and timing. And, you know, Hawaii plays so many different receivers this year. And, and people don't understand that people run their routes different. They escape from the line of scrimmage differently. They stack defensive backs differently. They don't leave as much room necessarily to fade out where the quarterbacks are supposed to. So, I think that has to do with timing. I think it also has to do with the feel for these receivers. And this has been a COVID year. So the passing game not being as good as I expected is not really detrimental in terms of they can improve that because Chevin has shown 
the ability to make all the throws. And I really don't worry about with his work ethic and his want to and his passion. And like Todd Graham has always said, he cares about not only himself, but he cares about the state of Hawaii. He cares about the University of Hawaii. He cares about his teammates. And he knows that he has to continue to be the leader on the field and off the field, in the classroom and out of the classroom. And I think he's the type of guy that's only going to get better at everything he does. I mean, he works with Kenny Patton to get faster. So there is speed. There'll be even more speed. He'll be able to drive the ball better as he continues to develop core strength. I think he has every aspect you want to be a great quarterback. Yeah, and you mentioned the word leader a couple of times. And let's talk about the leader, the true leader of this football team here at the University of Hawaii. First year head coach, Todd Graham. He goes five and four. He leads his team to a bowl game the 10th time in 13 years of being a head coach at the college football level, Todd Graham uh, takes his team to a bowl game. He's able to win a bowl game, the New Orleans Bowl against Houston, obviously, as we uh, uh, talked about earlier. But when you look at everything that went into this season, I mean, can, could you imagine being a coach? You're, you're named the head coach in, in January. You don't practice for the first time with your team on the field until six months plus later. You have your season canceled, then brought back, canceled, then brought back again. And, and then you have four weeks to get ready for an actual season. Uh, how telling is it that there were two games this season that the University of Hawaii had multiple weeks to get ready for? It was Fresno State and it was Houston. Two of probably, you'd probably throw Nevada in there as most complete games of the season. Um, what does that say about a team when when – Todd Graham wasn't given that opportunity to really have a full off season, to have a training camp, to have all these things that, that were lost because of COVID-19. And, and there's only two glimpses of, of maybe a, a little glimmer of that. And that's having multiple weeks to prepare for one opponent. And it's a blowout win on the road at Fresno state and a big win on the road. You can call it in Texas against a Houston team in a bowl game. What does that tell you, Rich? Well, you know, here, here's the deal, right? So like when you look at the NFL and you have a coach that wins after bye weeks, it, it's all about that preparation. And like you, you mentioned in those two games, Fresno and then Houston, having that extra time to prepare, look how well they played on offense, defense, special teams. But let's go back to what this man stands for in terms of the fabric of Todd Graham. He talked about at the beginning of the season, how important it is to have less penalties, to be more disciplined. This was a one of the least penalized teams I've seen in Hawaii in a long time. We've been known to make too many penalties and it has hurt us. It also, there's been years in the recent past history, we haven't taken the ball away in defense. They did a much better job of taking the ball away and creating big plays, as we mentioned before, by in terms of his blitzing and, and the whole mentality he has. And then you look at the ability to you know, strike on offense. He mentioned throwing the ball 15 times vertical. You know, sometimes you didn't see 15 vertical throws, but you saw enough offensively to know that when they do get the timing, this is going to be an offense that scores a lot of points. So I think when you look at a lot of defensive coordinator, head coach type of guys, they don't really spend enough time offensively or they don't have the mentality to throw the ball as much as he did, especially go deep or take chances and trick plays. I think he has the right mentality offensively. We know he has the right mentality defensively. And I think he's uh, proven that he's a winner, as you mentioned, 10 bowl games in 13 season. And also, Rob, being on a conference call with Todd Graham, the transparency, the candidness, he would tell us things that other head coaches wouldn't tell us. And I think one is he trusted us, 
but two is he's a salesperson. He's selling this program. And if you can sell the program, you can sell recruits. And I also think that he understands how to recognize talent and he knows what he needs for this team. You need a defensive end. You need a tight end. Well, they went out and got one already. You know, you need another cover corner. And I think he's been around football long enough to know that how to win games. And uh, he's, he's full of substance. And I think he is, is uh, will be an incredible selling this program for the future. You know, one of his calling cards is discipline, right? You hear him say it a million times throughout the course of the season. And, and like you said, he put his money where his mouth is, where this University of Hawaii football team, probably the most disciplined we've seen in decades, right? Um, with the amount of penalties that they've gotten, the amount of times they shot themselves in the foot for those type of things. But when you also look at the pandemic, something that no coach yeah. in, in 100 years has had to deal with, right? Um, right? When you look at these unprecedented circumstances and his team is one of the few in the country and one of only two in the conference to have zero issues during the COVID-19 pandemic in regards to your games being in jeopardy of being lost or your your team being decimated heading into a bowl or heading into a game from a roster standpoint he really proved that discipline being part of this program and being one of the building blocks of the foundations of this program i mean this isn't talk this isn't selling this is he was able to prove it in year number one how impressive is that yeah, that's impressive, Rob. And it's OKG, our kind of guys, I think he'll recruit. But I also think that he can take a kid who's maybe not the greatest, uh, had some dis disciplinary problems. Uh, Marquis Stovall comes to, to mind and understand the importance, not only of football, but of life. And you hear him talk about life lessons. You know, he's a he's a God fearing man and, and he really stresses and, and, and preaches the religious side of him. But I think he also has made it clear that it's not just winning on the football field. It's winning off the football field. It's winning in life. It's what you do, you know, later, how you can pay it forward, how you can be a product of the state of Hawaii that everybody can be proud of. And I think he reminds me a little bit of Chris Peterson. And Chris Peterson is one of my favorite coaches, the former University of Washington coach, because it is so important. Hygiene is important. Appearance is important. Going to class is important. Graduating is important. How you win in life is important. And I think that carries over on the football field. And I think that's why we did see, as you mentioned, uh, the ability to play eight football games, not have all the COVID problems that other programs had, and the ability to uh, talk about it, these, these life lessons that are so important for these young people. Well, I, I got to tell you that over the course of us talking here, we got to a couple of the questions that were sent into the Bose football final mailbox at the top of my head. I know Sean and Matt uh, sent in questions about, about Calvin Turner Jr. and the passing game respectively. And those are things that that we we're able to cross off the list. But uh, let's delve into the Bose football final mailbox. Again, you can always find me on social media at Rob DeMello, K-H-O-N on Twitter, at Rob DeMello, Instagram and Facebook. And before we get to it, much mahalo to everybody who sent in the questions all season long. I mean, one of my favorite parts about this whole football season was on Sundays posting um, the reminders that, hey, Bose football final is going to be on on Monday, putting it on Instagram, Twitter and all that. And especially in the Instagram stories, that's where we got the most of the response, uh, people responding right there and just being able to 
read all the questions and comments and you helped us craft this show and whether we use your questions or not uh we took it into consideration in regards to the questions that we ask our guests rich miano and rj hollis and so can't thank you enough much mahalo everybody for the support but with that being said let's get to this week's bose football final mailbox all right and first up let's go to matthew on facebook who is asking a question about Aloha Stadium, and obviously last week we were joined by R.J. Hollis. Uh, I spoke to you on the KHON2 Sportscast about your feelings on uh, the announcement that the Aloha Stadium would be uh, shutting down, for lack of a better term, uh, here moving forward. And the University of Hawaii football team is on the search for a new home venue in 2021 and beyond. And, and the question here from Matthew is, why isn't there more talks about an Oahu high school like Mililani or Kamehameha being a home field for the Rainbow Warriors? And where do you want to see UH playing football games in 2021? And, and so... Um, to preface that a little bit, I, I think what Matthew is leading to is that there is a lot of talk about Maui War Memorial Stadium, where the University of Hawaii football team played a game in 2001, that being a possibility. Of course, Clarence T.C. Ching Field that needs some work, but does have the infrastructure to play games on moving forward as a new Aloha Stadium is built. And so to, to answer that first part of the question before I hand it off to you, Rich, um, is all about infrastructure, right? Where playing a football game at the NCAA level is more, there's more to it than just the field and the stands. You need the proper locker rooms. You need the proper press boxes and coaches boxes. Uh, there are so many more things. And if you don't have that infrastructure to get that done in a short amount of time, I think that is what lies in the problem of just going to a Mililani high school that is big enough that, you know, that has some of the amenities that you need. But I almost feel like if you're going to spend that much money in making it game ready for the UH football team in 2021, then you might as well do it in something that can be used more long-term. Is is that how you're feeling rich? And, but then more importantly, I want to hear your thoughts on where do you want to see UH playing in 2021? Well, I I think you, you mentioned so many different scenarios, and I think one scenario would be Kamehameha Schools, which is a, has a press box, obviously not as big as in college, but do they have the locker room capabilities? Because that athletic complex does not have the locker rooms right built into that stadium, so you'd have to use you know, the campus locker rooms. I mean, there's some logistical challenges. Mililani, you have two sides of bleachers where you don't have a Kamehameha, but then again, you have locker room issues. You have obviously parking issues uh but you know those type of things maui you know they've played there before um the hula bowl has and and obviously some other uh, events have been held there it's a bigger stadium but then it's on the island of maui which would be nice to play over there one time and then you could play in indina stadium in Kauai. but again these are would be like road games for the University of Hawaii. And there is a lack of infrastructure in terms of the collegiate level. Um, You know, you think that if you started tomorrow on T.C. Ching Field at the University of Hawaii, you could improve the seating, you could improve the the, the, the boxes, the press boxes. There, obviously there's some locker room situations there. You'd have to obviously kind of start building or start uh, envisioning. I don't know if it gets past the artist rendering standpoints, the funding, the, the actual construction. So there are, you know, Dave Matlin and uh, Todd Graham in this football program has a lot to think about uh, because being the road warriors and playing, you know, 
eight conference games uh, on the mainland is obviously, you know, it's not almost not feasible financially, but it's not really fair to these kids to be on planes and trains and automobiles. And, you know, the amount of traveling they would do would set in a record that would never be broken. They already set records every year by being the road warriors. So there's a lot of challenges and that announcement of Aloha Stadium potentially uh, most likely probably not being available to the University of Hawaii is a huge setback, I think, not only for the University of Hawaii, but for the state of Hawaii to not have a world-class facility for the next four to five years or however long that construction and funding project takes, I think was just a, a not just a dose of bad news, but it was just a windfall of bad news. Yeah, absolutely. And, and of course, I wait, like we talked about last week, and we, we talked so much about this topic that we'll continue to be talking about. It'll probably be the number one topic in the offseason uh, moving forward as far as where's the home field for the University of Hawaii football team. And one thing to keep in mind is that we are all assuming that fans will be allowed to come to a stadium and watch a team play. And, and, you know, and obviously you hope that that's the case, but you know, if if that is not the case and let's say you come into the fall and you were still under COVID-19 restrictions, well then Aloha stadium is a viable option. They'll be able to play there this season, just like they did this past season. The issue is fans and the Aloha stadium, not being able to handle fans moving forward. Um, one, you know, the, the question for Matthew is why isn't this being talked about? Why isn't this being talked about? One interesting possibility that I feel like isn't being talked about is on campus in Les Murakami Stadium, where there's a field right there that let's say you can't get the Ching field done. You can theoretically keep, you know, you have all those those seats available. You could add more seats. It's the fall, so you're not playing baseball at that time. You could add bleachers in some point. You'd have to maybe do something with the wall, bring that down and add bleach. I mean, it would take require a lot of work, but if you're looking at how does the University of Hawaii get as many people as possible so that you can make ticket revenue and keep things in control by UH and being on campus, then that's a possibility right there, perhaps if you can't get certain things done. So obviously there are a lot of possibilities. There are a lot of things for this UH football program and the athletic department, obviously with David Matlin and president Lassner to be talking about, but it's unfortunate that we are talking about this, that coming off of this big bowl win and all the possibilities and all the great things that are happening with this program um, in, in, in looking ahead and thinking of, of what, this team can do in 2021 is unfortunate that one of the things we're talking about is where they're going to be playing football games. But uh, obviously this is a conversation that's not going to end anytime soon. Yeah, Rob. And, and you mentioned the baseball stadium and I remember actually practicing there one uh, spring it rained 47 straight days. I, I remember, remember, remember the year you probably do, but Rob, I, I go back to TC Ching field because to me, it's an unfinished product. And when I say that, I mean, you need scoreboards. Okay, we can do this. You need more seating. That would be wonderful as well. You need a better press box or you need the sound systems, whatever you need. But guess what that would do? That would allow you a phenomenal eight to 10,000 seat stadium for high school football, for outdoor concerts, for UFC matches, for all kinds of a revenue producing venue other than the Stan Sheriff, which is the best indoor facility in Oahu. I think that as a 10,000 seat stadium, there could be some revenue producing things to, to get back some of your costs because there's going to be a lot of cost associated with it. But I think high school's using that for soccer, high school using that for football. You know, the soccer team now, what they have to go out to the West side to play, the University of Women's soccer team. I would like to see TC Ching 
finished, whether that's another five or $10 million, what a wonderful facility that has potential to be. Absolutely. I mean, and really, it's what I talked about all last week. That is what I think they should be doing. That is what the focus should be on. And obviously, anything, any other venue or possibility is plan B, because plan A, as you said, if you're going to spend money to give the University of Hawaii football team a place to play for potentially four years, then why not it be a place that you can continue to make money as the years go on for all the yes. reasons that you mentioned can continue to reap the benefits of that stadium. Even if it is not the long-term home of rainbow warrior football, it could be a long-term home for high schools, for the hula bowl, even I'm talking to the hula bowl executive yes. director. I mean, there is Polynesian, Polynesian bowl, so many different aspects that this program can succeed from by getting that done. Something that probably should have been done a long time ago. Well, thank you for that question, Matthew. Let's move on over to the next question where it is coming from David on Instagram asking, do you think that Chevin Cordero needs a Cole McDonald in his life to push him to the next level. I feel like he was more spectacular off the bench than he was this season as a starter. I know you disagree with that spectacular term because the things that he did in, in keeping plays alive and, and, and especially running the football and running an offense, um, I, I think no word better describes it than spectacular. But uh, is David on to something here where getting another quarterback into this position group and into the position group meetings to push Chevin Cordero could be a good thing. Well, I always felt like, you know, competition is uh, the best part of being a complete team and, and everybody needs it. And yeah, it'd be wonderful. Uh, who knows what Boone Abbott is capable of? I don't, maybe you do. And GJ Kinney might, maybe they feel like he is the, the, the up and coming type of guy, but I would continually try to find a quarterback. And I'm not saying this because I'm from Hawaii, but, to get somebody from St. Louis that, you know, throws the ball consistently, that's athletic, that can read defenses. And whether that's A.J. Bianco or, or one of those kids up on the hill right now, I think it'd be wonderful to continue to recruit another quarterback. Because, you know, in and when you think about it, Chevin Cadero, if he plays well the next couple of years, and I'm not even sure what the NCAA rules will be, but I know you need to be three years removed. Who says he plays for the next three years? And even if he does play for the next three years, some kid who's recruited out of the next year's recruiting class is eventually going to have two to three years to play at the University of Hawaii and learn from Chevin Cadero. And to me, one of the most valuable positions in all of sport, and we're seeing this in the National Football League, is the backup quarterback. So if Hawaii does not have a great backup quarterback, yeah, I think it's wise to go recruit uh, the best quarterback you could possibly have because we're not as short of this kid playing. This is a very dangerous game, and the way he runs around, you mentioned he doesn't get hit very often, but it doesn't take a hit sometimes to suffer an injury. And, yeah, I think that competition would be great for Chevron. But I'm going to tell you this, Rob, and I'll end with this. He'll be great regardless if he has a great backup because you have the right kind of kid. And uh, I apologize because I went out of order on these questions. And I realized after I, I looked down that I skipped one um, that pertains to the stadium um, you know, a uh, uh, scenario and still in that topic. So we're going to jump backwards real quickly for this last question on the Bose football final mailbox coming from Hawaii verse everybody on Twitter asking, do you think that playing in a small venue these next few years could give UH fans the college football atmosphere that the program has been lacking recently? Very interesting question because you have heard that a lot where 
you know, uh, they, they, they feel that fans feel that the college football vibe has been missing from UH football for quite some time. Do you think that this is a silver lining potentially for the University of Hawaii over the next four years of, of where they're going to play? Well, you know, you'd have obviously a tremendous packed house every weekend if you played in 4,000 seat Mililani Stadium or 3,000, 3,500 at Kamehameha. But I would, again, go back to if I'm Dave Matlin, and, and I know times are tough to get any funding right now, and there's probably no money available, but somehow, some way, if there's a donor out there, or the state could just say, hey, we realize this problem is kind of our fault as well. And, you know, we're going to fund a $350 million stadium that may be built in a year, two or three. But we're going to give you guys five to $10 million to start tomorrow, which I know is out of the question, to build the T.C. Ching up to 10000 are 7,500 are, you know, whether it's 5,000 seats. I think that would be a wonderful home field advantage for the Warriors and they wouldn't have to go on the road. And still the, 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 the fans who are just, you know, loyal, that are just passionate would still get to see the University of Hawaii play. And maybe more students would come because it'd be on campus. Maybe it'd be an incredible atmosphere for, you know, those thousands that wanted to watch this exciting Rainbow Warrior team. I, I can see that, Rob, as the only scenario. Yeah, I like it. I'm with you. I'm, I'm on that uh, hype train. Uh, you're the conductor. I'm sitting in the back too, too. Um, but one thing I will say that uh, that I do agree with in that vibe is one thing you have to keep in mind is that for all these years that the University of Hawaii has been playing at Aloha Stadium, they haven't had control of the game day experience, right? That is Aloha yeah. Stadium's venue. You are a tenant. You are coming in and, and you have the scoreboards, you have the timeouts, you have the bands allowed to play. You There are only certain things. And we know Greg Salas, a part of the IMG Academy, um, that, you know, that, that plays a big part in what the University of Hawaii does control in the game, the experience and the things that they want to do. But that's very Manini. Those are very small things that they're able to do because you only have control over so much. So if you are playing games on campus, that now becomes full control of the University of Hawaii. And, and I think you agree with me when I say that going to a University of Hawaii basketball game or a volleyball game at the Stan Sheriff Center, the fan experience is phenomenal. And I think that there aren't fans that will complain about how timeouts are treated or the jumbotron or the things that go on at the Stan Sheriff Center. That's a fun vibe. And so if you are playing games on campus and the University of Hawaii has full control ever over every second of that game, I do think that you're going to see an increase in some of the things that you can do with the college football feel and, and just little things on, on a first down. Um, maybe you can shout something or maybe you could generate something that becomes tradition at the University of Hawaii moving forward to where even if you're playing at Aloha Stadium in the future, the new Aloha Stadium, and maybe you lose control again and it becomes the, you know, the stadium doing things forward that you would have built some of the traditions that the fans hold in control. Right. Um, so I do think that there's an opportunity to to change the culture a little bit and, and fan participation during a game and little things like that. So we will see. And like I said, you know, this is the final Bose football final for 2020. But as 2020 starts up and you have recruiting day and you have spring ball starting and some big events, we're gonna, still going to be doing Bose football final. And so there's a lot more time to talk about these subjects. But much mahalo to everybody who sent in their questions to social media. 
on the Bose football final mailbox all season long. We really appreciate you, but coach um, to kind of put this thing to bed here in our final episode of BFF, if you can uh, put it all into perspective, this rainbow warrior season five and four run bowl game champions. Um, when you look at if this were a normal season would have been in the mix in the West division fighting for an opportunity to play in a West division uh, or a mountain West conference championship game, um, the development of players, the new coaches coming in and, and, and being able to identify what they're trying to do on offense, what they're trying to do on defense. What will you remember most about this year, 2020? You know, it's tough to obviously uh, put into perspective in terms of just quickly, but I, I do think that you remember how it ended. You remember the bowl game. You remember the second half of Boise State. You remember the Nevada game. You remember the opening game against Fresno. You try to remember the good things. And you also try to recognize the potential for this team because everybody, like in any other program, can come back. So the potential to be great, or at least to be consistently good, has already been established through the Nick Rolovich years and now the first year of Todd Graham. So I think the horizon... Uh, the, the gold at the end of the proverbial rainbow, so to speak, is really a positive thing moving forward in this program. I'm really excited about seeing Todd Graham recruit out of the South, out of the West Coast, in Hawaii, you know, the next Darius Muasal, the next Calvin Turner, the next quarterback, as we mentioned, whatever else, because I do think the future is extremely bright. And I do want to say that Nick Rolovich left a tremendous foundation. Todd Graham seems to be taking this foundation and really preaching this discipline and all these other things to make it even a, uh, I wouldn't say a better program, but a more consistent program. For the fans that are listening right now and thinking ahead to 2021, what excites you most about this Rainbow Warrior football team? Is it the players? Is it the coaches? Is it the progression? You know, what, what is it that really makes you wish that this was August already and the University of Hawaii was getting on a plane to go play at UCLA in their first game of the season? Yeah, as good as the Christmas presents that Todd Graham was left with, think about he's already got a tight end coming from Georgia. Think about he knows he needs to get a defensive end. He needs knows he needs to get a real, another shutdown corner. You know, there's a lot of things that his scheme is different from Nick Rolovich, the run and shoot, whatever else. But I think he also realizes that with a great recruiting class and with the ability to hopefully have a Calvin Turner back or having this quarterback and this offensive line and, and the potential they showed at the end of the season. I think it excites me with a, you know, he's always talked about how important his strength coach was. He's the associate or the assistant head coach. I mean, nobody in America does that. He, like me, believe in the, you know, the most important hire other than maybe your offensive line coach is your strength and conditioning coach because this offseason is the chance to build these guys and reach their genetic predisposition with discipline, with great offseason, with a great recruiting class. There's no reason why Hawaii can't win the Mountain West Conference and compete in another mainland bowl game and show the nation that this program is for real. All right, Rich Miano, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, as always, uh, one of my favorite parts 
of the University of Hawaii football season is all the time that I get to spend with you, whether it's at Spectrum Sports. Uh, we didn't have cover two this year, obviously, which is a big bummer, but we were able to do Bo's football final once again. Um, you're a great man. You're a, a, a great analyst for University of Hawaii football, and I enjoy every single week that we're together, and I'm looking forward to the next BFF. And everyone, uh, stay tuned. Follow us on social media because we don't know when the next episode is going to be, but there will be more episodes coming forward. So make sure you subscribe on your podcast platforms and, and follow us on social media, like I said, and stay tuned for the next Bose football final. Rich, uh, how do you want to say goodbye to everyone here in 2020 as we get ready for the new year? Well, I'd be remiss if I didn't say you you are all of, even on Spectrum Sports with, you know, six of us, you're the resident football genius. You have the most passion. The time you put into university-wide football as well as high school football on local sports, Rob, as I get older, I'm just glad I have you to rely on all these memories that I have and all these experiences. You can pinpoint with accuracy people's names and the dates and the years and whatever else. So. I'm blessed to have you as a partner and uh, love you, bro. And uh, we're blessed to have you. Love you too, bro. We love you all uh, in Bo's football final world. And we really thank you for your support all season long. Uh, much mahalo everybody who sent in their questions and comments, even liking and retweeting and, and all the things that you do to show support of BFF. Uh, we really love that we started this. And Rich, you and I started this a couple years ago, um, just having some fun with UH football. And really, it's become part of our lives. And, and we can't wait to, to keep this train going. But Happy New Year to everybody. We hope that your families and your friends are safe and you are all smiling. We'll see you on the other end here uh, in 2021. Take it easy, everybody. Happy New Year. Much love. Aloha. <laughs>